Welcome to the Holistic Psychiatry Podcast. I'm Courtney Snyder, a physician and holistic child and adult psychiatrist. Today's episode will be on the impact of our first three years of life and our earliest attachment experiences. No one is immune to the impacts of these first three years. We are all shaped by our early lives in ways we aren't consciously aware of. So with this topic, I invite you to be curious about your own early experience. Some of this I will be reading from a chapter for a book, and some I will be paraphrasing. Today will be about all the incredible things that are happening in this early time, how and why nature wired us for attachment, and how our environment impacts this early time. In the next episode, I'll talk about the many factors that can disrupt this early attachment experience. And in the third episode, I will talk about the attachment spectrum, how attachment is measured in toddlers and adults, how we can identify where we fall on that spectrum from avoidant and dismissive on one end to secure in the middle, and then anxious and ambivalent and preoccupied on the far right end of the spectrum and tools that we can use to move us toward secure attachment relationships. Part of that is to have healthy autonomy. In the fourth episode, I'll talk about how we can help build the foundation for children that are beyond this first three years, but also for our adult children. Like you, I carry within my body and my unconscious the infant and toddler I once was. And like many of you, I am a parent, and I understand the desire to go back and make different parenting choices. As much as we might think about our lives, most of us aren't considering our first three years when the foundation upon which our physical, cognitive, emotional, and social well-being was built. Though our conscious or thinking brain doesn't recall this time, our bodies, our autonomic or automatic nervous system, and our stress hormone pathways do. So what's happening in our brains during this early time? In our first year of life, our brains double in size. By three, our brain was 80% of what it is now, and by our fifth birthday, 90%. Our newborn, infant, and toddler experiences are impacting us all the time. To give a good example of this, there was research that was done in which they blindfolded kittens continuously for three months after their birth. And when they took the blindfolds off, the kittens were essentially blind. Without visual sensory input, their visual pathways did not form properly. If you do the same for an adult cat, they don't lose their vision. So as you've likely heard, neurons that fire together wire together. So input from the outside world is getting those neurons firing and wiring, whether we're talking about vision or whether we're talking about our relationship to other human beings. As infants and as toddlers, we have particular developmental tasks However, in that stage of our life, that we're not in isolation, this developmental task requires input from our caregivers. Caregivers could have been loving, warm, and responsive, 
or absent, detached, anxious, or hostile, or anywhere in between. Our environment as toddlers could have been a secure base, again, our caregiver, that allowed us to explore and return for refueling, or our caregiver could have been absent, restrictive, or emotionally reactive. And again, anywhere in between those two. Whatever our experiences, our neuronal connections were forming and becoming reinforced in such a way as to increase our survival in the world. So we weren't all born into the same world. Becoming conscious or at least curious about this early time in our lives can bring clarity to why we think and feel the way we do. It can explain why we might repress our feelings, why we sometimes might use addictive behaviors such as food or substances to check out, why we become angry out of the blue, do we feel ignored, jealous, or believe we aren't getting our due, why is it so uncomfortable to receive praise, affection, gifts, or even attention from others, why do we gravitate to those who ignore or hurt us, do we create drama in our relationships, and if so, why? The answers to these questions may be in our very beginnings. Beliefs, feelings, and behaviors that made perfect sense in that early time don't necessarily make sense in the present time. The good news is that we have the ability not only to rewire our brains, but that we carry within us, along with that infant toddler, we also carry a responsive caregiver who notices and accepts our feelings as part of our human condition and wants to comfort us. However we refer to this part of ourselves, our soul, our higher self, our inner parent, or even our God, the main thing is that we know that this part of us is there no matter how hidden it may seem and that we can turn to it when we need to. Accessing that can be more difficult if somebody hasn't had an attachment experience, but this is part of us that, again, we can grow. I do this podcast with the assumption that we're all wounded to some degree by our early experiences. While most of us haven't been directly impacted by war or famine, and many of us haven't been abused or severely neglected, some of us have. However, we all have been shaped by cultural experiences whether it was the medicalization of childbirth, which separated newborns from their mothers, the shunning of breastfeeding, which would have been the case for my generation, I'm in my mid-50s, the cry-it-out approach to bedtime, or now, in these more modern times, screen media being used to calm and sedate infants and toddlers in place of a caregiver. Obviously, our choices can be impacted greatly by our circumstances. We may be a single working parent struggling to keep our infant fed in a country that doesn't have policies that support this time of development. We may have financial resources, but believe we have no choice other than to obey the parenting advice of marketers, friends and family, and even experts can be giving information that may be counter to what is healthy for the youngest of our children. And unless we're conscious, which can be hard if you're parenting very young children, we're all making parenting choices that are influenced by our own early and forgotten experiences. 
So this is a point that I'll be coming back to, that whether we're thinking about it or not, the way we would parent and provide an attachment experience is shaped by our own experience. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that we can't work on what may be an insecure attachment and build a foundation to which we would be better able to provide that foundation for our own children. So what does love have to do with this time of life and with attachment? So while attachment is about love and our first connection to another human being, it is also not about love. As parents, we can love our children and have perfect intentions, and still make choices that lead to unintended trauma. And by trauma, I mean something that happens that leaves a severe or persistent physiologic stress response, thus leaving a mark on the body. As parents, we can experience tragedy and adversity during our child's earliest years. Our stress inevitably will affect our child, and more so if we don't have support from others. Still, loving our children and having good intentions doesn't build a foundation. Just as you can love flowers and intend to plant them, that doesn't make for a flourishing garden. It takes learning about what flowers need. It takes time from one, two, or more gardeners. And still, there can be unexpected weather conditions. Attachment is not about perfection, just as I wouldn't suggest that we can live a life free of toxins, inflammation, or damage to our microbiome, I wouldn't suggest that we should have had the perfect attachment experience. In fact, I would say we don't even know what that is. There's a lot of diversity into what is considered ideal in different cultures for young children and infants. So what is the purpose of attachment? We are biologically wired to desire proximity to our caregivers so that as infants we will be protected from harm and that as a species we will survive. John Bowlby, the British psychiatrist who really is the pioneer in attachment and who developed his attachment theory, says that we will organize our behavior and thinking in order to maintain these relationships. Because our survival is at stake, we will maintain these relationships even at great cost to our functioning. Bowlby's theory says that if our parents or caregivers were unable to meet our needs, and the attachment was essentially disturbed, we can develop distortions of thinking and feeling, which is at the root of mental disorders. And we would do this, again, in order to maintain that connection that would increase our likelihood of survival. I'd like to talk now about the physiologic impact, what's going on in the body during this early time. And know that When under stress, babies and toddlers, just as for us as adults, our bodies would have produced adrenaline, which caused our heart rate and blood pressure to increase. Stress also causes the stress hormone cortisol to be released. This is the fight or flight response, even though as babies we couldn't fight, nor could we flee. So ideally, if we were in pain, uncomfortable, or hungry, this stress response was activated. We cried, and supportive caregivers responded. We became calm, and our bodies returned to homeostasis. This repeated resolution would have allowed us to develop an autonomic, or what I would say is automatic, nervous system that is conducive to a healthy stress response. This type of neurologic wiring is what allows us 
to then tolerate normal amounts of stress and to bounce back when we experience stress as we grow older. This is really what creates resilience. If, however, as infants and toddlers, our stress response was extreme and persistent and not buffered by a responsive caregiver, we could have had higher cortisol levels that persisted for hours or even days. And this would result in our brains being wired for danger, vigilance, and self-reliance. And some of us more so than others, depending on genetic vulnerabilities and just our inborn temperament. That's how our physiology can be impacted. And now I'd like to comment on how our beliefs and our thoughts and expectations of ourselves and the world and others can be shaped. And then I'll be getting into the impacts of our environment. So again, attachment requires someone for us to attach to. So a caregiver would have been someone who was present and recognized and met our needs as infants and toddlers. Ideally, we were fed when we were hungry, comforted when we were distressed, and regularly engaged with. These repeated experiences create the belief that our needs will be met, and in fact, that our needs will always be met. We learn that the world is safe, that people can be trusted, and that we are worthy to receive. On the other hand, if cries or reaching out aren't adequately or appropriately responded to, and again, this isn't perfection, but it's responded to enough, and where that line is drawn is, you know, a gray area. On the other hand, if our cries or reaching out aren't adequately or appropriately responded to, we learn that our needs are never met, or they're sometimes met, but not to count on it. The world can seem to be a dangerous place, others can't be trusted, we're afraid, and we don't believe that we're worthy to receive. In toddlerhood, our developmental needs change. Hopefully we can trust that when we start to explore our environment, that our caregiver will be there for us as a secure base. We repeatedly return for refueling before exploring some more. But what if the caregiver can't tolerate our need for our autonomy or connection? Or what if our caregiver is preoccupied with a sick child in the home or some other factor? What if our exploration and autonomy is constantly interrupted or punished or met with rejection when we return? Then we won't explore. We forego our needs in order to meet the needs of our caregiver. What if our secure base up and leaves or threatens to leave? Then that is what we'll come to expect of others. So again, there are a lot of impacts on this foundation. If we just start with cultural differences, um, child-rearing values will reflect cultures. Some features of attachment seem to be shared across the world. Other features vary widely. Some of us are born into a child-centered world, which emphasizes the bond between an infant and a primary caregiver. And while this may seem optimal, it's not if it leaves parents feeling stressed out or not seeking help from others when they and their child need it. An exclusive parent-infant bond would likely not bode well, for example, for a child born in the Cameroonian Nassau, that's NSO, community where maternal exclusivity is discouraged. This goal of having children used to everyone and loving everyone equally 
may in part be driven by the high maternal death rates. In Kenya, kissy mothers carry their babies everywhere but avoid eye contact, which is felt to convey power to the child and lead to attention-seeking. In Norway, when infants turn one, they typically go to state-subsidized daycare from eight to five. Right next door in Sweden, policies allow for very generous parental leave entitlements. Together, parents have 16 months of parental leave, which can be used up over eight years, during which they receive 80% of their salary. While our culture is impacting child-rearing, our child-rearing is shaping our culture, or at least the culture that we will be living in when our youngest are adults in charge. When we hear about groups engaging in genocide or terrorism, the first question should be, I would say, how were they treated as infants and toddlers? Nazi educator and physician Johanna Herrera wrote The German Mother and Her First Child, of which 600,000 copies were made. This manual on caring for an infant existed for the seeming purpose of preparing children for submission to the Nazi regime. The intent, which was aligned with the philosophy of the Hitler Youth Movement, was to rear children who would be brave, obedient, disciplined, and have no self-pity, self-indulgence, or self-concern. The manual said babies should be separated from their mothers for 24 hours after their birth and placed in a separate room. And there's a lot going on in these first 24 hours, which I'll be talking about. This separation, the book advised, should continue for three months. The mother and infant would only be together for breastfeeding for 20 minutes, during which time she was not to play with the infant. Mothers were discouraged from caring, rocking, or attempting to comfort their crying babies. With that type of attachment experience, one could only expect a population that is full of fear, obedience to authority, and lacking in empathy. It's not a coincidence that Herrera and others describe babies as pre-human and that the Nazis describe the Jews and many others as subhuman. This dehumanization of the other made it even more possible to commit atrocities. So while that is certainly quite disturbing and quite extreme, it gives you an understanding of how, at a mass level, these early experiences can shape a culture. In the next episode, I'm going to talk about how it can be impacted by much less extreme examples of attachment disruption. I'll also talk about the impacts on our right and left hemispheres, our impact on our hormonal stress response, and how our genetics and temperament come into play when it comes to attachment. If you'd like to learn more about this or other topics that relate to brain health, please visit my website at CourtneySnyderMD.com. If you know someone you think this topic is helpful for, it could be a family that's expecting a child or a family with young children or someone who's grappling with trying to understand their relationships. Really, I think this topic is something that relates to all of us at a very universal level and also something that we never think about. I hope it was helpful for you, and I'll look forward to connecting with you on part two or on another podcast. Until then, take care. Bye-bye.